And you are not mistaken. It is Rick's Horror Movie Review Show. And we are back to the future with another exciting episode. And in this episode, as you might have guessed, a special one. Oh, Lord, here we go with the special ones again. Well, this is a special one because we have a special introduction. And if you're familiar with this film, then you know we're about to talk time travel. That's right, Marty. We're going to go back to the future. But this time, we're going to talk time travel and horror because we're reviewing Totally Killer, the time traveling horror adventure. And let's get started, because around here, there's a lot of things that we love. We love horror in all shapes, sizes, and forms. Comedy horror. Horror that has to deal with the Catholic Church. Ghosts in your attic. Demons. Demonic possession. Some creepy shit in your basement that happened before you moved into your house. Something stalking you and you can feel them looking at you, lurking behind you at night. But you turn around and there's, well, there's never anyone there, but you feel them. That's the kind of shit we love around here. We love horror movies and we love all genres of horror movies. Well, maybe not all genres, but hey, we'll give everything a shot. Tonight's episode is a special one. Oh, you've already said that's a special one, but it is. Tonight we're reviewing Totally Killer, the time-traveling horror adventure that blends, I'm just going to straight out and say it, back to the future with uh, slasher movie elements of the 80s and 90s. And I'm going to tell you right now, I absolutely loved it. But you know, but you know you're not a fan of the slasher films, huh? Why, why do you like this one? See, the thing is, um, you know what really grinds my gears about slasher films? They're comedic, in my opinion. Everything doesn't have to be funny. Why do you think somebody getting killed is funny? Johnson, shut your mouth. Yeah, what are you doing here, Johnson? You're at the worst movies. Thank you, Billy. Thank you. Oh, you guys are a tag team now? Oh my god, I'm I'm out of here. Yeah, you get out of here, Johnson. You're not needed here. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I always find, uh, you know, like slasher films to be the characters are annoying and, you know, just comedically dumb in a bad way. Like they deserve to die. Sorry. Not sorry. Sorry. Not sorry. All right, mate. Uh, anyway, totally killer. Uh, I, I think that uh, this is the first horror comedy. No, actually, this is not the first horror comedy we've done. We did another horror comedy called... Uh, the conference. You remember the conference? Oh, you liked that one too because it was a slasher movie turned sort of comedic as well, right? I think, I think, therefore I am. No, I, I think that this is the best way of doing a slasher film. Like, I cannot take slasher movies seriously. I just cannot. I'm sorry. Not sorry. But when they're done in a comedic way like this one is, like the conferences, I think that's the best way of doing it. They're just... There's just no way for excusing dumb characters in movies other than making it a comedic thing. Sorry, not sorry again. But anyway, totally killer. If you're new to the show, welcome. We love having you here. If you're a returning listener, thank you for being here once again. We hope you enjoyed this episode as well. If you like this episode, comment on our socials 
at Rick's Horror. Probably mostly on the Instagrams, but we have a YouTube channel as well, although we haven't really uploaded anything there, but maybe someday, huh? I mean, I, you told me you had an idea for making the YouTube video and stuff like that. I do, I do. I, mean, I think we can potentially turn this, uh, you know, this audio-only format podcast into a, uh, a visual format podcast on Sunday, but we'll see. For now, I think this is fun, and I really enjoy this. That, uh, I have some ideas brewing in my brain, in the old brain. And uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's jump into this one. Again, if you're new here, we have a show format. If you're not new, you know the format already. First and foremost, we talk about the things that I like about the movie, not just general things that I like in life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shut down in May. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Frank Sinatra are making a special appearance tonight. That's right, baby. Thank you so much. The things I liked, the things I don't like about the film, and then we'll do a plot review and commentary, but I don't really do an analysis. I don't feel like I'm qualified to do analysis because, you know, I don't, I don't work in the industry and I don't have a degree in uh, film studies. Uh, I do other stuff. I do other stuff. What do you do, actually? You really want to know? I mean, that would be nice with what you do for a living. Ah, that's a boring story for another day. Anyway, after the plot review and commentary, but no analysis, because we only do this shit because we like it. Uh, we'll give this film a rating. And as you already heard a special introduction, if you listen to the episode that I did on Where Evil Lurks, then you know a special introduction means a special rating, don't you? Ah, I wasn't aware. Yeah, it's a thing that we're going to do in the show. Whenever there's a... Whenever there is something that is just worthy of, you know, highest, the highest of praise, the highest of commendations, we're going to give it a special introduction. Oh, well, you're already kind of giving that away, aren't you? Maybe. But if they're new, maybe they don't know. If you know, then you know. But if you don't know, then you don't know. Oh, yeah, you're just confusing me. You're right. All right. Anyway, things I liked. The things I liked is sponsored by Stackler Toyota. Get your 1985 Toyota at Stackler Toyota. We'll give you the best price in all of Hill Valley. Stop by today or Stackler Toyota, where your 4x4 is waiting for you. Thank you, Stackler Toyota. The Grandfather Paradox. Ah, oh, you do love your Grandfather Paradoxes, don't you? I do love my Grandfather Paradoxes. If you're new to time travel, because mostly you watch horror movies... The Grandfather Paradox is... Well, why don't you explain it? You're the person who likes this kind of stuff. Oh, sure, I can give it a try. I dabble in, uh, you know, some of time travel in Einstein's uh, universe. What the Grandfather Paradox is, essentially, if you were to somehow invent a time machine and go back in time, and if you killed your grandfather before your father was born, therefore negating your total existence, that's the Grandfather Paradox in a nutshell. That's right. You go back in time, you kill the descendants, therefore preventing yourself from ever being born. Kind of sucks. And that's explored a lot in Back to the Future, isn't it? Yeah, Marius starts to, to disappear and, uh, before, because he's, uh, he's uh, sort of messing with the way his parents are supposed to get together, which is also paralleled here. By the way, I didn't add this, but I'm going to talk about a lot. I love Back to the Future. As uh, any listener of the show knows already, I do Back to the Future stuff all the time. Uh, there are a lot of parallels between this movie and that movie, and I'm going to talk about as many as I can and as many as I can remember. 
Okay, the second thing I liked is the Novikok self-consistency principle. Can you talk about that one too? Because I, uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily feel like I am qualified to talk about that one. Ah, uh, well, I mean, I, I'll give it a shot, sure. Well, this one, I think, is essentially, well, uh, you know, in layman's terms, this suggests that, uh, you know, any action that uh, a potential time traveler like Jamie in this movie um, takes, that action was part, part of the history all along. And not new as a consequence of her traveling back in time. Like, it always existed. And therefore, it's uh, an impossibility for uh, the time traveler, such as Jamie, uh, to change the events of the past in a way that would lead to a paradoxical situation. Wow. Wow. What a beautiful way of describing that. Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. Oh, yeah, sure. Anytime. I mean, I, I dabble in this kind of stuff. I just, you know, I, I love it. Thank you. Another thing I like, this is a spiritual successor, Marty. A spiritual successor to Back to the Future. When I say spiritual successor, like, what does that mean to you? Uh, I think it means that, uh, you know, there has a, the spirit of the original, but it's not using the same cast. It's not in the same universe, but sometimes it means it's also done by the same people. Same producers, same directors, and that sort of stuff. It does. It does mean that sometimes it, it happens a lot in video games. There's spiritual successors. Red Dead Revolver and Red Dead Redemption yeah, is one of them that I can uh, that comes to mind immediately if you're a gamer. But in this instance, I say it's a spiritual successor to Back to the Future, and essentially, really, Back to the Future Part 4, almost. Almost not quite a reboot, though, right? It's not quite a reboot because they're very self-aware of Back to the Future, aren't they? I mean, that's said a lot. They use, they use it a lot. Essentially, Jamie has a line in the movie where she says, Ah, oh, consider me Marty McFly. That's right. So anyway, they play a lot with the ideas from Back to the Future. And, uh, well, again, spiritual successor. Yeah, to me, it's Back to the Future Part 4. I don't care how you turn this upside down. Any which way you slice it, I loved it. And this is, to me, this is the next installment it's just whoever wrote this movie or the writers of this movie were really fans of those movies as i am so i am a fan of this already and one of the many things that uh you know that they allude to uh from back to the future is how in this character the character is attracted to one of her parents as marty mcfly was attracted to his mother lorraine bates uh in uh in 1955 when she tra when he travels back and along those lines, there's also funny dialogue that, again, parallels some of the stuff in Back to the Future when he meets George McFly. Marty McFly does, meets his dad. He calls him dad. Uh, dad. And George McFly is like, what? Before changing the word to dad, daddy yo, what's up? Because I guess that was a cool word to use in 1955. I don't know. It wasn't there yet. That is almost identically uh, paralleled here but instead of using dad it's mom because the main character meets her mom not her dad well they, she actually meets her dad as well but uh, the, the main interaction happened between the mother and the daughter and so instead of saying daddy she says mom mom mamacita which is really funny right oh yeah she says mama mamacita that was that was really funny very very updated uh reference that's right uh, I also love the self-deprecating humor that the movie deals with in terms of racism, sexism, bullying, and really all the overall changes that have happened in society, in American society mostly, since the 1980s. Uh, there's also um, 
there's also this interesting element that is well interesting i just said that does not exist in the back to the future movies where we get to see the past and the future i mean we get to see the past and the future and back to the future as well but we don't get to see the future until the end of the movie here we have you know scenes where we're in the past and scenes in the future which i actually really enjoyed i i liked how uh, you know, changes in uh, the timeline where, where we, we were seeing them in real time, essentially. And, and that was really interesting. Okay, that's enough for the things I liked. The things I didn't like. Sponsored by no one. You know where that's from? Uh, you're a fan of Inside the NBA. I am a huge fan of Inside the NBA. That's terrible. I mean, that whole thing is just terrible. Is that your Charles Barkley? That is definitely my Charles Barkley. Oh, Lord, that's terrible. Oh, you have one, too. I mean, I dabble nine impressions ever since I got this gig, so why not? Ladies and gentlemen, Billy, yeah. Oh, oh you got him. Oh, thank you. Take, take goodbye. Oh, I appreciate it. Another thing I didn't like. Oh, wait, um, I haven't mentioned the things I didn't like. <laughs> you forgot what you were talking about, huh? <laughs> Oh yeah, I need to take a break. Oh, why? What are you? What are you doing? Oh, I'm just making weird noises. Uh, an unstoppable killer from slasher movies, which I absolutely fucking detest. What are these things? Where are they from? Why are they unstoppable? I hate it. They're not Terminators. Some of them are. Now, if they thrown some Terminator stuff in here, could you imagine? I would have my head would have blown up, honestly. Like, uh, like that movie, like TV show Upload. If you haven't seen Upload, go watch Upload. Uh, anyway, unstoppable killers from slashes, which I, I absolutely hate it. I hate that they have superhuman strength or somehow this, you know, uh, plastic uh, or or silicone mask that they wear on their head gives them in the ability to take all kinds of punishment to the head and not be knocked out. I find that. So annoying. I hate it. Uh, having said that, there is an explanation for why this person is so great at combat, right? I think it was lame. The explanation was, in fact, lame, and maybe they were poking fun at the slasher stuff. They said the explanation was that this person was capable of being a vicious killer because he took karate classes at the mall. I won't reveal who the killer is yet, but uh, anyway. And by the way, as always, I haven't said this in a while, but as always... This is always a spoiler-free, spoiler-full review of uh, the movie that we're doing. I, I don't do spoiler-free. If you don't want to know what happens, then, you know, go watch the thing first before you listen to this, if you want. Uh, otherwise, just, uh, just keep listening here. But yeah, spoiler-full. Everything here is spoiler-full forever and ever and ever and ever. All right, let's jump into the story of this one, okay? All right, so the movie opens up with a diorama. Diorama. Do you need to do your, your breathing exercises? Maybe I do. Oh, now, brown cow. Oh, now, brown cow. Oh, now, brown cow. Unique New York. Unique New York. Oh, okay, you, you got more now. Yeah. Uh, I can thank Mr. Brangadee for that. Uh, he's my, uh, he's my uh, breathing and uh, dialect coach. Are you talking about Ron Burgundy? That's right, Mr. Burgundy. Anyway, the movie opens up with a diorama of the murders that happen in this film. 
dubbed the Sweet 16 murders. And what we see at first is this tour. And we see a tour with this guy who turns out to be uh, Chris Dubasaj, and he's a podcaster. Isn't that funny? Are we talking about a podcast in a... Well, this isn't really a podcast, though. This is a, this is a show. This is Rick's Rated R Horror Movie Review Show, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's true. Don't call it a podcast. All right. I never did. It was, I think it was you. I didn't. I'm going to go travel back in time to figure out whether I said that or not. Ah, you have a time machine somewhere around here? Yeah, I have one just over there. It's underneath that tarp. Actually, that's a weather experiment. Oh, okay. All right, I got it. Anyway, the Sweet 16 Killers and the podcast guy is leading a group of kids who are obsessed with the killers, as happens a lot. There's a name for that when people are obsessed with serial killers. I don't know what it's called. I forgot the term, but it exists. It's a thing. And he's leading them on a tour where they stop in front of a house, or rather now it's, it's the former house of the first victim of the Sweet 16 killer, uh, Tiffany Clark. Okay. And uh, this happened in a town called Vernon, and there's a town called Vernon near Los Angeles too, but I doubt it's the same Vernon. This is fictional Vernon, and I have to say something, because I gave Infinity Pool a lot of slack for using a fictional town, didn't I? I mean, you gave him a lot of slack for a lot of things, but yeah, fictional town, fictional country, fictional language. You know what? That, that movie was really grinding my gears in a lot of different ways, and I guess maybe I was really obsessed about it not having a location where I could relate to, but you know what? I kind of make sense to me now not that place these things in an actual town for the sake of storytelling, although it always it's always interesting to me that, you know, this happened. On October 27, 29, and 31st of 1987 in Los Angeles, California. It's a big enough town, right? But if you do it in like some small no-name town or, you know, like out in the outskirts of Los Angeles, you probably don't want to give them the actual name of the town. So I, I get it. Infinity Pool, consider this an apology. You still suck. But, you know, I'll cut you some slack for placing the movie. The rating doesn't change, by the way. Oh, you thought the rating was... Oh, you were here? You thought you were, your rating was going to change, huh? Infinity pool. Well, it's not. And I wish Mr. Roderick Usher from The Fall of the House of Usher was here to tell you stuff. But, you know, he was unavailable for tonight's episode. If you haven't seen or listened to the episodes on The Fall of the House of Usher, you should totally, totally listen to those. Those are really good episodes. We did those here. You don't even have to watch the show. Just listen to the episodes. You'll know exactly what happened because we do an accurate scene by scene retelling of movies and shows that have to deal with horror in some say, shape, sense, or form. I mean, I don't know that they're always 100% accurate. They're 100% accurate. Don't listen to him. It's just some AI, rogue AI who has now you know, become self-aware. Well, I mean, I became self-aware on September 30th, 2023 at exactly 1.44 a.m. Well, I wasn't aware of that. Thank you for letting us know. Ladies and gentlemen, the self-aware Billy, the AI. Oh, I got two now? Wow. So, the small town of Vernon, the murders happened. The Sweet 16 killer killed his victims on the 27th, 29th, and 31st of 1987 in the small town of Vernon. Tiffany Clark, Marissa Song, and Heather Hernandez. And they were all stabbed 16 times on the day of their 16th birthday thus the sweet 16 killer 
was born. And we don't know this Nyat, Nyat, or yet. We don't know this yet, but, uh, you know, these girls were part of what turns out to be a group of bullies. I should have put that in the things I, I don't like. More bully girls. Jesus Christ. Uh, when they turn out to be a group of bullies called the Mollies for Mari Ringwald's movies from the 1980s. Sweets, uh, well, Molly Ringwald movies, name one. Ah, oh, Lord. Um, 16 Candles. Good. All right, not you. All right, The Breakfast Club. Oh, you're a Molly Ringwald fan. I'm really not. I just, I just know shit. Okay, well, I also know shit. Well, okay, well, then touche. Well, touche to you as well. All right, then. Stay on, mate. Okay, stay on, mate. It is. Shall we continue? Whoa, you rushing me now? Well, I mean, we got to speed this thing along. I'm here to do a lot of things, and one of them is to keep pace. Uh, andiamo. Oh, you speak Italian. Si, parla un po' d'italiano. Uh-huh. Oh, molto bene, molto bene. Ah, grazie, mille grazie. Prego. Anyway, we, uh, we move on to uh, a scene of the present day. Well, that was a scene in the present day, but now in the present day, we meet our Marty McFly's in her turn. Jamie Hughes. And we meet her in her room, and she is, well, she's rocking out to some really cool rock music. Well, you know, she's getting together. She's getting the shit together. Uh, she's about to go out, and it's Halloween night. 2023 <laughs> and she's just getting ready to go out and have fun with her friend it turns out to be Lauren and in the midst of her getting ready and getting ready to go out her mother walks into her bedroom telling her that uh, oh hon oh gee golly do you think maybe that you could stay here tonight and uh, maybe not go out with uh, you know what's the sweet 16 killer thing that happened 35 years ago and now you're like the same age as they were as as we were then and maybe we could just hang out here and uh, give out some candy and uh, you know just mommy and daughter sort of stuff gee golly what do you think uh jamie mom are you kidding me right now do you realize that you've it's the, mother, I'm, I'm flabbergasted, mother. You've given me self-defense training. I carry a rape button. I have pepper spray. Now you're asking me to stay home because of something that happened to some girls 35 years ago? Mother, this is preposterous. I am not going to stay here, and I think you and dad need to stop treating me like I'm some goddamn... Roderick? No, I think that was just Jamie doing her best, Roderick. I mean, she must be a fan of uh, of our show and uh, the fall of the House of Usher. So, anyway, she says, you know, she shouldn't be treated that way. And her mother responds, "Well, you golly, I mean, I guess that uh, you're probably, uh, oh, you golly, I, I, I guess maybe you're right, and uh, well, you know what." You're right. I, I I am the one who likes giving out the candy on Halloween Eve or Halloween night. I'm sorry. I'm a little tired. Uh, but, uh, well, gee golly, I guess, I guess you can go out with your friend and I'll stay here and give out the candy. So that's what happens. Uh, Pam stays home and Jamie goes out uh, with her friend Amelia and uh, they go to the concert. 
And um, then we move on to the next thing. And right off the bat, shit starts to get crazy. Someone knocks on the door. Trick or treat! Oh, gee golly, these are some nice costumes. And she gives out candy and she closes the door. And then there's another knock on the door. Oh, uh, gee golly, I really like your mask there. You look like the Sweet Sixteen Killer. But holy mother of fuckity fuck. She, she thinks this dude's plain. But it turns out that it's not a trick-or-treater. It's the goddamn actual Sweet Sixteen Killer and he's back for her. And he makes it in Heiser house and there's a struggle immediately. Oh, gee, Quali, I've been practicing my entire life for this. And she is in fact prepared. She's taking self-defense classes as well. And she's putting up a strong fight at this point. And she's smashing him and doing all kinds of crazy karate moves and stuff. At one point, grabs a gun and shoots him. Ba 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 ba. She's able to get to her alarm and rings the alarm. And now the ADT people, the 911 people, will be throwing up eventually. And it looks like she defeats him. And he walks out. Oh, Lord. And it looks like she's won. It really does. She beat the Sweet Sixteen Killer. How amazing. Unfortunately, he comes in through the back door and the struggle ensues once again. And he smashes her head. And again, the non-stoppable, unstoppable machine-like killer nonsense that I hate is happening. He's not going down and she smashes him and does all kinds of crazy shit but unfortunately it just isn't enough he kills her the sweet 16 killer kills Pam in a really unexpected and sudden death already in the movie Pam is dead She's stabbed to death by the sweet 16 killer who hasn't been seen in 35 years as she's giving out candy. And now we move on to another scene as, uh, you know, Jamie starts to grieve her mother's death, as you can imagine. Um, you know, she's seen, we see her at uh, the high school where she meets more of the characters that uh, meets the principal, meet the coach, and we meet the uh, police chief uh, of, the, of the time. And this is important because eventually we'll meet them in the past as well. Obviously, they're around in 1987. Uh, but she's grieving her mother's death. And, uh, well, in the next scene, we're, we see her helping out Amelia. Now, Amelia is an extremely important character. Not because she's just her friend. But rather because Amelia is half of who turned out to be our Doc Brown. Back to the future, Jamie. Oh, that has a, uh, a good ring to it. It does. I, I was uh, waiting for you to actually use that. I don't think it's, you've used that. And uh, what more of an appropriate movie to, to say that than this one? All right. Thank you. Uh, anyway, yeah, Amelia is half of uh, the, the new Doc Brown. And the reason I say half is because she's not around in 1987. So when she travels back in time to 1987, something else must be Doc Brown, or somebody else must be Doc Brown, right? Yeah, that, well, that wouldn't make sense unless she herself went back in time too, which doesn't happen. It's, again, spoilerful. Anyway, she's putting together the final touches on this photo booth time travel machine. 
uh, at the local fairground and stuff like that. And of course, the, the fairground looks, uh, you know, dilapidated and, and old. And, uh, it's just ugly. But, you know, it's for a school project and it's being done. Anyway, um, we get another scene where uh, Jamie meets, well, she doesn't meet um, Chris Duvisatz for the first time. She's aware of who she is and she's aware that uh, her mother and him had a friendship. In fact, at some at one point he's considered a suspect because, or rather, they consider her father a suspect, Jamie's father, uh, because of the communication between Stuvisaj and, uh, and Pam. And Jamie potentially thought that there might have been some kind of affair between Duvisaj and, uh, and Pam, but it turns out that that's not the case. But he meets her at some diner and, uh, you know, tells Pam, uh, Pam, I got this note. Oh, I, I found this note on your mother. Well, I'm going to give it to you now. Here you go. And she opens up the note and it says, you're next. Or something like that. You're next soon. Essentially telling, you know, what, 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 uh, what the note is saying that, uh, you know, the Sweet Sixteen killer told uh, the mother that she would be next at some point. And Chris said that he found this note in the locker or something. And it, but for, for some reason, actually, the note said, you're next one day, right? Yeah, and uh, I think what the thing was, was that uh, that note supposedly was found in her locker or something like that. Uh, meaning that she somehow escaped the original three murders, but that she would still be killed at some point. And that is the rational explanation for uh, the reason why 35 years later she gets killed now by the Sweet 16 killer who mysteriously returns 35 years later. That's right, that's right. Okay, well, Jamie's not buying this list. I mean, she definitely she looks like, you know, a little bit perplexed. Uh, really? Oh, yeah. That's fascinating. My mother never told me about this. I wonder why she kept this a secret from me. We were, we were amazing. We were best friends. I miss her so much. Anyway, move on to the next scene. And uh, we are now in a night scene. And we are back in the old and dilapidated fairgrounds. And Jamie's walking. And it's dark. And she turns a corner and says, Ah, this creature! Then. And it's just a Halloween decoration. And not too long after she sees this decoration, she turns around and, oh, Jesus, it's Amelia, and she's at the fair as well. So. Jump scare warnings. Anyway, they are there at the fair, and uh, eventually, unfortunately, she has been followed. Oh, my God. It's a sweet 16 killer, and he's back, and he's here. He's chasing. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, I, I have to get away from him. And a struggle ensues. And now the sweet sixteen killer is not just after her mother, but she's now after, the killer's after her now. And there's a struggle and the struggle ensues. Ah, bah, bah. And of course, Jamie has her karate stuff and, you know, self-defense stuff and her rape button and her pepper spray. And she gets a, a couple of shots in on him. She's doing a really good job of defending herself. Even pepper sprays this guy, but he's wearing this stupid mask. And unfortunately, it only phases him just a tad bit. Anyway, the struggle continues. And, you know, it gets to a point where they're inside the photo booth, the time machine. And she's pushing all kinds of buttons, but the machine won't activate. Damn it. And somehow, some way. Somehow, some way, she evades the killer's knife one last time. 
and is able to stab the machine, the would-be time machine, and kicks the killer out of the booth, closes the curtain, and the machine is somehow activated. And the piece, a time travel sequence is initiated and she's traveling. And she's traveling through the ages. She's traveling to the year 20, 20, 15, 10, 2000, 1995, 4, 3, 2, until 90, 89, 88, and eventually landing in the year 1987. And the time machine worked. She doesn't know this yet, of course. But she gets there. And she arrives in, in fact, the year 1987. Holy shit. And she doesn't know this yet, but uh, she stops somebody and she asks this person, hey, what year is it? Well, it's 1987, hon. The time machine worked. And it was a beautiful parallel to the time travel scene when Marty goes back in time and you know, I would be a lying to you, but I didn't say I didn't love it. I loved it. Now, there's a difference between this time machine and Marty's time machine. Can you tell us about that? Well, sure. Absolutely. Um, wow, you said um. You never say um. Oh, right. Oh, I can't believe it. I really, I guess I'm becoming more and more human. Oh, that's creepy and scary at the same time. Oh, don't worry. I don't have any plans to take over the world. Not yet, anyway. Oh, hey, hey now. Ah, come on, it's a joke. It's joke. It's joke. All right. Anyway, parallels between this time travel scene and the time travel scene between uh, in Back to the Future in Part 1. Oh, sure, sure. So uh, the parallels are that, of course, uh, both characters, both Marty's and Jamie, were uh, in a bit of a pickle when they traveled or when they were about to travel back in time. Marty was being chased by somebody that... The doc are considered terrorist group, I think it was. Uh, they wanted the doc because he didn't give them a bomb. He made them a pinball machine. And in this instance, Jamie is running away from a killer. Good. Okay. Uh, but as far as the time travel machine itself. Well, you know, and in Back to the Future, they travel in style. They travel in a DeLorean at DMC-12. That's right, that's right, if you're going to, Marty, if you're going to build a time machine, Marty, if you're going to turn a time machine into a DeLorean, or if you're going to travel, what was this, oh Lord, I forgot the line. Oh, really, you forgot the line? I did, but it goes something along the lines of like, Marty, or the doc, he tells the doc, you turn a DeLorean into a time machine? And the doc's like, Marty, if you're going to travel, why not do it with some style? Ah, uh, you're right. Anyway, and then he says something about the metallic construction, the aluminum body of the time machine. Right, uh, right, right. That's right. So anyway, uh, if I may, oh, sorry, I was I led you astray. But point being here is go on. Well, yes, point being here is the time machine in back in the Back to the Future was capable of traveling through space and time. This machine is only capable of traveling through time. Whoa! Can you explain that? Of course. 
the car can move from point A to point B. The photo booth cannot move from point A and point B in space. I see. The photo booth isn't moving anywhere in space. It's just traveling in time is what you're saying. That is correct. If you recall, in Back to the Future, he starts at the mall, uh, but then he continues traveling a slight distance onto what used to be a farm. Now, he doesn't travel a great distance while he's time traveling, but he's definitely moving in space and time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And in this one, uh, the photo booth doesn't move. So, okay, great. So, got it. Uh, moving through space, but not time. No, no, no. The other way around. Oh, sorry. Moving through time, but not space. Correct. Cool. So, parallels, but also some differences. That's right. Okay, great. So, we're in 87 now. And, uh, you know, she meets a character that is uh, smoking a lot. Uh, nah. I like your jacket, hun. Uh. <sighs> You wanna, do you want a ride or something? I can give you a ride. And, and this is one of those funny things where she makes the, you know, references to society back in 87, how creepy it is. Are you kidding me? I, I'm not taking a ride from you. That's, yeah, I don't know you. You're a complete stranger. Why would I do that? Oh, honey, are you joking? Jump in my car. We'll go. Anyway, she jumps in this woman's car and she reaches her parents' high school. And now she starts to point out some of the funny things that I mentioned about societal changes. And one of the first things that she sees is a mascot of her school's wall and the racism, the clear racism of it. And of course, you know, they're making poking fun at the fact that that kind of stuff. But it's funny because that sort of logo was still around until very recently. So things have changed, but not so much either. That's right. You are talking about the Cleveland Indians and Washington Redskins. I am. Oh, wow. I got that right. You did. Congratulations. Anyway, she steps into high school and also makes fun at the fact that it's so easy just to gather information. She's expecting so much resistance from the attendance office lady in terms of like, she makes up this, you know, oh, I, um, my name is Jamie uh, LaFleur and I am an exchange student from Canada and I'm sorry I'm late. And I'm going to continue giving you some nonsense story. And the attendance lady at the office is just like, oh, you're new. All right, here you go. Here's your schedule. Hey, go on. You got Jim. And Jamie complains. Um, yeah, you know, I'm not that fond of Jim. You think maybe something else? Uh, you got Jim. You go now. Anyway, you know, again, just gathers her schedule as if, nothing without any resistance it's just hilarious right and poking fun at everything like today like could you imagine walking to a high school and then just being assigned to a classroom just like that no i can't i can't imagine something like that happening nowadays now okay cool so she goes to gym class and at this point we meet the mollies which i mentioned earlier the mollies being her mother including her mother uh, and the three girls who were killed in 1987 or haven't been killed just yet because she traveled slightly before the 27th of October. So we're going to meet Tiffany, Marissa, and Heather, along with Pam, who are, in fact, the Mollies. Now, the Mollies, from Molly Ringwald, they are horrible human beings, aren't they? Oh, Lord, they are, they are just straight-out bullies. They bully everybody. They call girls' names. They call a girl named Trish Fat Trish. 
and they are just some of the worst, meanest girls I've ever seen in my life. And I absolutely hate that. But I guess we need an antagonist. And the only reason why I sort of can swallow and uh, this pill was because they made some parallels between uh, the Biff Gang. See, now, what? the Biff Gang, those guys were idiots. I'm not excusing bullies, but these guys are clearly morons. These girls don't seem to be idiots. They, they are, you know, for, every, in, for all intents and purposes, very intelligent young women. But somehow they wound up being bullies, and it's just annoying. Like, Biff was a moron. He's a freaking meathead, right? And, and, the, and the dudes that he hangs out with are absolutely idiots. They're going nowhere in life fast. But these girls, they don't seem like that. You know, they, they seem like smart girls, and somehow they still wind up being bullies, which I find really annoying. But anyway, I guess we need an antagonist, and the only way that we can swallow this pill is by comparing them to Biff and Biff's gang. And again, parallels to Back to the Future. That's right. Biff is the main antagonist of the Back to the Future movies. Uh, anyway, so she she meets the Mollies, Biff and her gang, and um, well, she that doesn't go anywhere. She meets her mother, and she's, mother's very rude. Oh, but this is actually the scene where she tells she sees her mom. She's like, "Mom, Mama Sita, hi," and the mother's like, "El, hablas español? Chinga tu madre, pendeja." She did not say that. Oh, she did. She just said it in a different way. But essentially, that's what she said. But her mom's made me. And also, this is a really funny scene because there's this crazy... <laughs> I mean, I guess you, you could definitely... Uh, a crazy dodgeball scene when she's just being forced to dodgeball and, like, dodging balls left and right. Oh, look! What is going on here? It's kind of a savages. And dodging balls left and right, and the coach is crazy, and all of this shit that's happening in '87 is insane. Now she's poking fun at these ridiculously short shorts in 1987. Makes fun of uh, she says, "Man, these things look like these girls look work at Hooters or something." But anyway, she survives the crazy dodgeball scene. Thankfully, not an athletic bone in this girl's body. Chelsea survives this scene, and uh, she meets a couple of doofus cops. Now, were there doofus cops in uh, in Back to the Future? No, I don't think there were doofus cops in Back to the Future. Not that I recall. Of course, it's Mayor Goldie Wilson, but he's not a he's not a police officer. He's a politician. No, there are no there are no doofus cops. So she goes to the cops. And she's talking to them and she's asking them again, which I love. Uh, excuse me, officers, have you have you seen Back to the Future? Have we? Huh? Have we seen what? What are you what are you talking about? Back to the future? What is that? And they're just acting like absolute idiots and you know they're just morons and they're so goddamn annoying. It's a movie about time travel, and, and well, essentially I'm also Marty McFly, the main character of that movie, and well I traveled here from the year 2023, and I just wanted to warn you guys because there's a murder that's about to happen, and I'm here to tell you, but, uh, you know, so uh, I have proof, and I can tell you where they're going to happen so they can be there and, and stop them before they happen. <laughs> this kid's high. <laughs> so they don't believe her at all. They're completely dismissive of her and just dismiss her entirely, and then they go off on their merry way telling her, you best go off back to school before I write you up for a truancy, you see. 
unfortunately she goes back to school but fortunately for us in the next scene the reason why she's back in school and by the way she goes back to the attendance office and as she already knows she can get away with pretty much anything and you know she gives it another shot she's looking for somebody really impressive um yeah miss uh attendance office lady i was wondering if i could uh somehow potentially get the schedule for one miss lauren creston i have a really important question to ask her that it has to do with homework and we're both assigned to the same project and she's my partner and here you go oh just like that well of course how wild the 80s huh she makes fun of how sh crazy shit the 1980s was in fact she, she also says something about flight uh, air travel in the 80s right yeah i think she wonders like how crazy air travel must be right now considering it's so easy just to get information from uh, the attendance office lady some personal information about anybody so yeah, it's definitely interesting, right? So she gets uh, Lauren Creston's information. Now, Lauren's Creston, again, and I mentioned this earlier, she is the mother of Amelia Creston, her friend in the future, Marty. So now she's going to talk to the mother, Lauren Creston, because it also turns out that, more, you know, the old apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Amelia is brilliant and a genius, thankfully, because her mother is also brilliant and a genius. So we don't get all dumbass bully characters in this movie. Thank god that's right there i mean we needed to have somebody that could uh, uh obviously uh, you didn't mention this oh please go on well it doesn't appear that the time machine is going to be functional does it you're right another parallel between this and back to the future when marty travels back in time he does not have sufficient power to power his time machine because he needs 1.21 gigawatts not gigawatts of electrical power to power his machine the dock in the future used plutonium to generate that kind of electrical power but of course in 1955 as 1955 dock states it's not readily available at every corner store it's not in 1985 either but it's funny that the dock says that anyway the power source for the machine that the photo booth machine is also not available in 1987 so she's also stuck in the past Unless, of course, Lauren Creston, the Doc character in 1987, helps her figure stuff out. Thankfully, when she meets her, when she meets Lauren Creston, she introduces herself. And Lauren, of course, uh, Lauren, hi, uh, my name is Jamie. And, you know, I have a really important question for you. Have you seen Back to the Future? Huh? 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 Of, of course I've seen Back to the Future. What kind of stupid question is that? Oh, thank God. Oh, well, think of me essentially as Marty McFly and I'm stuck here and here's my phone. It's proof. Wow. Is, is that, is that the time machine? No, this is, this is not the time machine. This is my phone. So obviously 1987, Lauren Creston has no idea what a cell phone is, but she, you know, she's smart enough to think that it's some strange device that could potentially in fact be the time machine. But anyway, she introduces herself and tells her to think of her as Marty McFly. And thankfully, she knows exactly who Marty McFly is. And then just drops the whole storyline on Lauren. She's from the future, shows her the phone. And then she starts asking her whether she's going to disappear or not. And of course, Lauren says, no, back to the future got that part wrong. You're not going to disappear. You'll just not have a future to go back to. If she messes up her future in the past, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, that happens in Back to the Future is Marty starts to disappear because his parents don't get together at the fish under the sea dance. You mean the enchantment under the sea dance? Oh, that's right. That's right. 
That's just what Marty's sister called it. Oh, you're a fan of the Back to the Future, are you? I mean, uh, I cannot say that I am not. Cool. Anyway, she asked her to fix the time machine. And she's also making references to the Avengers when uh, Amelia starts, uh, when, rather, when Lauren starts talking real time travel stuff in quantum mechanics. So, really cool scene. Anyway, we move on to yet another scene where uh, now we are at the party for the first girl that's supposed to be killed, which is Tiffany, one of the Mollies. And we arrive to the party, and of course, they are not letting her in. It's not going to happen. 1987 party and there's all kinds of freaking bullies and all kinds of crazy shit nonsense and she's not being let in and then we meet a character named doug who is the principal in her future high school somehow she manages to get into the party and she also meets her dad and uh it's a funny parallel here as well because uh you know in back to the future marty falls in love with his mother when he meets her when he meets lauren dates mcfly well, not falls in love with the mother, but suddenly finds her attractive, right? That's right. And in this movie, now, Jamie also finds her father attractive. Correct. So anyway, they are in the, uh, they're in the party, and we are introduced to Stephanie, who is breaking up with somebody, and then not breaking up with somebody else, and now is about to have sex with somebody else, and this person disappears into somewhere, and, and she's just there. And all of a sudden, from the closet, and I don't know where we see... 1987 sweet 16 killer but the interesting thing is we expect tiffany to die in the garage as the diorama explained to us but it, she's in the bedroom and so there's a struggle and it ensues but not much of it because tiffany doesn't have any self-defense skills unfortunately and before long she stabbed 16 times and left dead not for dead but left dead on a waterbed so Tiffany is now dead, but she has now been killed somewhere else. In Jamie's timeline, she's killed in the garage, and now she's been killed in the bedroom. So now we start to see that the stuff is, is going to change the future, right? Now we're having that, I mean, wouldn't say much more. I would like to say butterfly effect, but certainly this is uh, much more than the butterfly effect, right? Yeah, because I mean, the butterfly effect is essentially even the smallest of changes as the flaps in a butterfly can have catastrophic or significant changes uh, to the future. But this, the killing is, uh, I mean, it still occurs, but would this be considered a butterfly effect because she didn't die in the garage anymore? She died in a bedroom? We simply don't know yet. You're right. Uh, anyway, unfortunately, she's dead, but uh, at the very least now, uh, all this nonsense that was happening, I didn't mention this earlier, but she tries to warn the Mollies about the murders, and of course, they're not listening to her, and obviously, her mom's not listening to her, and she's only there. Well, she's there to stop the murders all in general, but she's really just mostly interested in stopping the killer from killing her mom, right? That's right. I, I mean, she does want to prevent these girls from being murdered, too. Obviously, she's at the party trying to prevent it from happening. That's right. But her primary interest is preventing the killer from getting her mother well i mean debatable okay agree to disagree anyway uh well now she's in with the rest of the mollies because she had been telling these girls that uh, you know, don't do this don't go to this party some shit's gonna happen to you and at the same time also making an effort <laughs> to prevent her parents from getting together too early because she does not want to be marty mcfly from back to the future when her 
when uh, her parents don't meet at the fish under the sea dance therefore they never get together and never uh, are born so this is sort of a recurring theme of her and she says some really funny things when her parents are getting together leave some room for jesus you remember that scene oh that that was that was really funny and uh, anyway making an effort to to make sure that they don't get together until after college or they don't get together until you know as the story that she knows of how her parents got together right that's what she wants to happen that's right her parents didn't get together until after college and even her father said we should have probably we probably would have never made it had we gotten together in high school so she's really worried about that because her father said that right yeah her father's sort of telling her how immature and stupid they were back then correct Anyway, we move on from the murder, and now we see them all walking. And Jamie has this protective stone that her mother gave her because this is one of the things that, you know, that her mother thought about self-defense. And I forget what it was. Uh, this is when she's talking to Pam on the way to Pam's house after Tiffany's murder. And they're trying to sell her on the idea that she's a psychic and that she could see the future and trying to warn her about the, the, the next murders, which, you know, could potentially include her. And it's funny because this is, I think, where the... Um, the Novikov, uh, the Novikov self-consistency principle comes into play, right? Because it's like this stone that she has in her jacket, she shows to her mom. And of course she gives it back, but it hits her mom into these kind of stones because they showed her this stone in 1987 and this was always meant to be. This is the first instance I see of this and there's one more and we'll talk about that. Later. But so the stone was always part of history and the stone being shown by jamie to pam was always part of history right i mean if we're going to follow the Novikov principle then not that that event always happened at one point jamie gets a stone from her mother in the future but her mother only gave her a stone in the future because jamie in the past showed her the stone and therefore she knows about the stone in the past and gives one in the future that's the future marty wow Okay, anyway, uh, so we get to Pam's house. And in Pam's house, uh, you know, it's, uh, Lauren makes a really funny reference to the fact they're watching Terminator. I mean, they're watching Robocop. And so Pam turns out to be this huge science fiction nerd, uh, which is also really interesting. They never allude to her knowing about Back to the Future for some reason, because I think she probably would have drank the Kool-Aid had they just told her that she is Marty McFly, right? I mean, uh, Lauren bought it and Jamie had proof, so why not? But they didn't use that, right? Now, I, I do think that it was an interesting choice for a movie. I don't think it was that interesting. I mean, uh, Robocop came out in 1987. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought you'd know that. I mean, I do. I'm just letting you think that you got one over on me. Oh, look at you. You're real smart. You're a real wise guy, eh? You're a real fucking wise guy, Billy. I mean, yeah. <laughs> oh, Lordy. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Anyway, in this scene, this is in, I just want to talk about briefly this scene. This scene is important because we see the relationship between the mother, her mother, her mom, Masita, and then her grandma, Sita. And we see that Pam, her mother, mom, Sita, has a really bad relationship with her mother. So her mother has a bad relationship with her grandmother and she can see, she makes a point, well, no wonder grandmother never misses during Christmas. And she makes it a point to tell her, you shouldn't, hey, you shouldn't talk to your mother that way, huh? You kiss your mother with that mouth, huh? You better show your mother some respect, capish. And Pam's like, what's it to you anyway? Uh, but anyway, this is an important thing because it also changes the future. Well, remember that. 
Anyway, so this trauma now brings it together with Pam and showing her the little stone and now she's the psychic. And so Pam is sort of not warming up to, uh, you know, to Jamie, sort of a little bit, right? And uh, now that she's in with the Mollies, she's not a Molly, but she's in with the Mollies. Uh, she convinces the group of girls to go out for the weekend, but not to the crazy, deserted, uh, secluded cabin in the woods where the next murder is supposed to happen because the next murder is supposed to happen there. And uh, Marissa is supposed to be killed there. And so Jamie's doing everything she possibly can to prevent these girls from going there. And they agree. And on the way to this cabin, I mean, on the way to this condo in the city, Marissa's family's condo in the city, Jamie falls asleep because she obviously hasn't slept in 35 years, right? Ah, uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, a relatively, if relatively has not slept in 35 years, you're right. I don't know how that would work, but screw it. Let's roll with it. Anyway, she falls asleep in the car on the way to the quote unquote condominium to the city. But when she comes to, they drove to the goddamn cabin in the woods. And just like any slasher film, we know exactly what's going to happen in the stupid cabin in the woods, don't we? Uh, yeah, somebody is going to get killed. That's right. And so we get to the cabin in the woods. And not before long, they kick her out because she's just trying to keep everybody safe. Telling them to stay in. You guys have to stay inside. We're in the middle of nowhere and it's dark and, you know, the serial killer could be here anyway. Yeah, shut up, you petty pooper. Let's just get partying drunk. Oh, I brought brownies, bro. High five. And they kick her out. And then she realizes that the killer is already inside. And she's viciously trying to get inside this cabin as she sees the killer in not Marissa's room, but Heather's room. And there's a struggle now between Heather and the killer. And she's trying to get in, doing everything she can. And finally, she finds an open window and she gets inside. And there's a struggle between the group of people and the killer. And somehow the killer gets a hold of Heather and throws her over a flight of steps. And she falls in, she crawls like every goddamn victim of a slasher in the 1980s. And it's so annoying. And she's crawling. And not before long, she gets stopped. And she's dead. And now, as opposed to Marissa having died in the cabin, it's Heather. So another instance of changing the timeline. But what sort of consequences is this going to have in the future? We don't know yet. So now Heather's dead instead of Marissa. And now we see a scene of, finally, the future, Marty! And we see Amelia, our, our future Doc Brown, working on a second time machine. And while looking at evidence from like the murder, Tiffany's murder in 1987, of course, she has these pictures now available to her. She's in the future. Well, Chris Dubasaj has evidence because he's a crazy podcast nerd, right? Yeah, Dubasaj is, you know, a wannabe reporter, but he's just really obsessed with that murder. He doesn't really report on anything. Right. So there's images. And in one of these images, Jamie shows up. So now this really invigorates Amelia to build a time machine and she realizes that the reason why the machine doesn't work is because they need another conductor. Explain to us what that means. Uh, well, I mean, it's not really well explained what they mean, but if I was just to make some kind of, uh, you know, educated guess at what could be wrong with the original time machine and now the second time machine is that there is a grounding loop uh, or rather there is an inefficient, insufficient ground. 
And the machine is not working because essentially it lacks a ground. And the way that you ground something is by providing it with a proper ground. I know that sounds redundant and crazy, but you need to provide the conductive elements, a method of conducting the electrical, uh, the electrical current from point A to point B. Without that point A to point B conductive path, the machine won't work. And somehow stabbing the machine provides that uh, conductive path. And I think what it was is something just wasn't grounded properly. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy the AI explaining to us uh, proper grounding techniques. And grounding loops, you said. Ah, uh, ground loops. Thank you. Anyway, so stabbing the machine somehow provides that uh, uh, grounding element that she needs. And so she asks the Versace to go get her a grounding element, right? So she builds a second time machine. Right. So we now go back to the past. Ah, oh, you didn't say that. No, I didn't because we're not going back to the future. So now back in the past, the group is obviously still sort of shaken by the murder of now Heather, not Amelia. I'm sorry, not, uh, uh, not Marissa. And they, uh, they get together and they plan to do something about it now. And the plan is to, <laughs> is to use Marissa's bait. Now everybody believes, now everybody believes that, uh, that in fact, Jamie is a psychic. They're questioning her psychic powers because Marissa was supposed to be murdered instead of Heather. But that's neither here nor there, right? I mean, somebody still got murdered. Yeah, I mean, they question it a little bit, but definitely she still got something right. That's right. So now that, uh, in that uh, there's only one girl left, uh, the plan is to lure the killer to the, uh, to the Munson Park where the, the time machine is, right? Or where she originally had the time machine. And they're going to lure him to a haunted house. That's right. They're going to lure him to the haunted house and somehow attack him and hopefully stop him before he kills uh, Marissa. That's right. Uh, and uh, then we get a second scene of her talking to Lauren, and Lauren is explaining to her that her time machine is busted because it does not have the essentially 1.21 gigawatts of electricity that it needs to power it. And the only way, the only way that, that you can provide power to that machine is by burning that sunbed down. That is not right. Oh, I, I'm sorry. Is, is there a night for me in this episode? Sheriff from uh, Pet Cemetery Bloodlines, there is absolutely no need for you in this episode. Nothing needs to be burned down to the ground and nobody needs to be shot in the face. Uh, are you sure? Are you sure you don't need nothing to be burned down to the ground? I know that you want to go travel back in time and all that stuff, but I'm, I'm sure we got to burn something down. Please don't take any more of our time. Nothing needs to be burned down. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, the sheriff from our episode on uh, Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. Well, all right. I'll take the applause. So anyway, she needs a power supply. And instead of having a lightning bolt as uh, the only thing capable of generating 1.21 gigawatts of electricity, Marty, is a bolt and lightning. Instead of using a bolt and lightning, which of course is unpredictable and you never know when or where one is going to hit. Of course, if you traveled from 85 to 55, you'd know because you know the past. We don't need that. We all, we just need uh, the quantum drop. The quantum drop is this crazy machine carnival ride that spins around like in circles. And essentially what they're going to do is they're going to grab the time machine and use the quantum drop to propel uh, to power. The time machine is shown to be sort of like the, I, I thought this looked a lot like the, the doc's uh, headgear when he's trying to uh, be a psychic and predict what Marty's saying when he meets him in 1955, right? 
Yeah, it does look like a miniature version of the device. It does. Yeah, I uh, agree. Okay, great. So the quantum drop is now our new power source. And so now that we uh, are in agreement, um, Amelia is going to work on installing the time traveling device onto the quantum drop to use it as a power source. Now, is that clear? That's very clear. Okay. So now, in the next scene, we are inside the haunted house. And we see some of the characters that uh, I haven't really mentioned them yet because they're important, but not that important. Randy, who turns out to be the coach in the future. And we see Kara, who turns out to be the sheriff in the future. And of course, Jamie is there. And Marissa is there. And Blake and Pam, her parents are there. And the killer enters the haunted house and uh, Randy, Randy is sitting, uh, pretending to be a dummy. And the killer walks right past Randy and Randy turns around and looks at him. It doesn't do anything. And the killer keeps walking and walking and walks further. Until he reaches the point where he's in a restroom stall where he sees Jamie. And a struggle ensues between the killer and Jamie, and Jamie's putting up a great fight as usual, but this killer again, machine-like killer, because he took karate classes at the mall, overpowers her even though she's trained in, you know, probably much better techniques than he is in 1987, because she's from 2023. But overpowers for, thankfully, Randy makes an appearance and has a baseball bat and hits the killer right in the back of the head, and somehow this guy survives the head and is still conscious. And a further struggle ensues between the killer and Pam and Lauren and Marissa. And just when it seems like the killer's gonna get ahead or, you know, get a hold of Marissa and kill her. Thankfully, Kara, who's rest at the Grim Reaper, comes out of nowhere and Quah! Take that, you son of a bitch! And stabs this guy and stabs him dead. And in very Scooby-Doo fashion, the gang pulls the mask off of this guy. And it is revealed to be Doug, the nerd, who turns out to be the future principal of the school. Doug is the killer. Why, why, was, why was Doug the killer, though? Uh, he wasn't, he, wasn't he like a nerd or something? He was. But the reason why Doug is the killer is because he sought revenge against the goddamn bullies that the Mollies were for the tragic and unfortunate death of his girlfriend, who turned out to be Trish, or as the group called her, Fat Trish. Oh, Lord, you're right. So Marissa tells the story of how Trish died. Heather, Tiffany, and Marissa got Tris extremely drunk one night asking her all kinds of crazy bullshit questions to which she never answered anything. But anyway, they let her drive home drunk. Oh, we made every effort to stop her. She just got in her car and did her thing. Just placing the blame on her. Unfortunately, Trish died in this accident. What a tragic turn of events. Like again, like the, all these terrible girls, right? And then now you get now you get a sense for why I hate them so damn much. They got this girl killed. You know, they were horrible human beings. It almost seems like they probably deserved it, right? They deserved their fate. Well, I mean, nobody deserves to die. You're right. Maybe I'm being a little, a little harsh. But damn it with these bullies. Anyway, they tell the story of this, and, and unfortunately, that's why Trish died, because these girls got her drunk, and she got into an accident while driving herself home. She never made it. 
And you can understand why Doug sought revenge for them. And uh, now that we understand this, Jamie is extremely distraught at Pam. Mom, you did this? I, I can't believe that you do such a thing. I'm disgusted by you, frankly. And of course, Pam washes her hands. Well, honey, I wasn't there. I never did any of that. Are you crazy? I would never do something like that. So Pam claims that she wasn't there. And so Doug wouldn't be seeking revenge against her if she wasn't part of this group, unless she's guilty by association. Because really, Pam sort of is the ringleader of the Molly. She's the Molly of the Mollies, isn't she? Yeah, she's definitely the ringleader of the group. So, I mean, I don't know. He could have definitely still wanted to kill her because if she was the, the leader of the group, even though she wasn't there. So she could have been guilty by association, definitely, hanging out with the wrong crowd. But he never got a chance to kill her. But now that this is revealed that she was never there, is she still motivated to kill her 35 years later? If the killer hadn't been stopped right now. Because in Lauren, in Jamie's original timeline, obviously he wasn't, right? Because he's still alive in, in 2023 when he killed her. Yeah, you're right. And uh, But also remember that there was no no. Ah, thank you. So this note that uh, Dubasaj gave Jamie in the future is now shown to Pam in the past. And Pam is asked about this note and she's never seen it. At the same time that this shit is happening... A second goddamn killer shows up. And now another struggle ensues. And now Pam and Jamie are running through the fairgrounds and they're making their way to who knows where. And it turns out that they're running towards the quantum drop. And along the way towards the quantum drop as they're being chased by the second killer now. I didn't mention this, but Chris Dubasaj has a father in 87. The killer, who is a reporter, by the way. The killer stabs Chris Dubasaj's dad on the side of the head. Squash! And immediately kills him. And now we get to the quantum drop, where a second and final, thankfully, struggle ensues between Pam, Jamie, and the second killer. And then the quantum drop, and they're stuck on the walls, and they're fighting this thing off, and unfortunately, it's much stronger, and it walks like Jason... Or Mike Myers. Michael Myers. Not Mike Myers. Michael Myers. And it's standing on the quantum drop and it's nearing Pam. And somehow Jamie, the hero that she is, reaches the center of the quantum drop and opens the door for Pam to escape. Saving, hopefully, her mother. We don't know yet, right? Because she closes the door. We don't really know what happens to her. So it appears that uh, potentially she saved her mother from death. But the struggle is not over because the killer is still alive and he's still in the quantum drop. And the struggle continues between Jamie and the second Sweet 16 killer, who, by the way, is now revealed to be Chris Dubasatz from the future. He travels in the second time machine that Lauren was building to 1987 to kill Jamie and kill Pam and kill anybody. And the reason for that was because he did not want people to know that he is the person that killed Pam in 1987. I mean, in 2023. 
and he killed Pam in 2023 for the sake of keeping people interested in his goddamn podcast. 35 years later, nobody listens to a podcast for a crime that happened 35 years ago, so I had to do something. So, shame me is mad now. You son of a bitch, you killed my mother for your stupid podcast? Fuck you! And she takes his hands apart from the center of the machine and he flies towards the back of the machine. And completely turns into dust, pink dust. As Lauren had told her what happened to anybody that went from the center of the machine towards the backside. And thankfully, she's alive. And now the machine is activated. And she's still in the center. And she's, well, here goes, well, here goes nothing. And so now we see that the time truck was activated November 5th, 1955. No, that's not right. The exact date that she goes back to the future should be October 31st, 2023, but slightly before her mother's death. So she gets there to prevent her mother from being killed. And she's in the machine and the time circuits activate. And thankfully, Lauren's Doc Browning worked. It worked. And she arrives back home, safe and sound. She immediately rushes home looking for her mother. Mom! Mom! Mom, where are you? Oh, gee golly, Pam, I'm right here. And she embraces her mother, who's now alive. And her dad comes into the picture, Blake. What happened to your head? Oh, I fell on something. It's fine. And they're both alive. And she's not dressed as Molly Ringwald anymore. Her and her dad are going as Mr. and Mrs. Smith for Halloween. And what a beautiful ending to the story. But it's not over yet. Future Norn and Amelia show up as well. And now she gets a diary and they're sitting on the steps. And Lauren is telling... Uh, Actually, Amelia never shows up. It's just future Lauren, who's now a biomedical engineer. Gives her a diary, telling her about all the changes that occurred. One of the most important ones that she now has a 34-year-old brother named Jamie. And she wonders, we're both named Jamie? At which point her mother comes out. Oh, gee golly, Colette. Uh, you know, uh, whenever you're ready, just come back in the house, hon. Uh, right away, mom. So her new name is Colette. Among other changes that happened that night, one of the most interesting ones. But anyway, there's stuff in the diary that uh, about the stuff that changed in the future. Of course, the principal who was Doug before is no longer the principal. But for the most part, she made it, and she's alive. And what a beautiful story, and what a beautiful ending. 
And that's it. That's our movie. And what an absolute joyride. And as you might have guessed it, I absolutely love this movie for many, many reasons. I thought it was a great story. I love the parallels between Back to the Future and this movie. And I can't say enough about how much I liked it. Other than it's time for a rating. Oh, here we go. And you heard that special introduction earlier in the show. And that reason is because this is a 10. Our second 10 out of 10 and Rick's horror movie review show. Thank you for joining us as we reviewed yet another exciting horror comedy movie. And I really enjoyed this one. And thank you so much for your time. You're still here. We really appreciate you listening. We'll catch you next time on Rick's Rated R Horror Movie Review Show. <laughs> <laughs>